When all of our kids were still at home, I had preached a lesson on a Lord's Day morning in which I had cried during the lesson, and we all piled up in our minivan to leave the building that morning, and my son Nathan from the back of the van, he said, Dad, do you get paid more when you cry? And I said, no, son. And he shot back and said, then knock it off. (laughs) Thank you for being here tonight. And thank you for praying for our brother. Clayton Hayes. I heard D. Bowman say about another brother one time that he liked to pray with him because he believed that he got through. (laughs) And I wanted us to pray for him tonight because I believe that we get through. So thank you for that. Tonight we're going to be thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verses 13 and 14. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to that text of Scripture so that you can see it for yourself. If you use a phone or a tablet, I'm not mad at that. But there is is great benefit to having a physical copy of God's Word that is, that is your own. And I would in, encourage you not to move too far away from that. And one of the things that I want you to, <clears throat> to see tonight as we think about Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, is, is where it is in God's Word. So as you consider the copy of the Bible that you use, there's 1,095 pages in mine. And the book of Ecclesiastes finds itself on, on page uh, 591, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to look at these two verses and we're going to spend some time looking at the words in these verses. We're going to think about what the words themselves mean. And after we have looked at the meaning of, of the words, there are two points that I want to make about these verses and then we will hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, in the New King James translation, we read, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so as we have been thinking about the, the, the overriding theme of turn away from evil, which is an expression that we find in Proverbs 3 verse 7 within the context of a verse that says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We have been encouraging one another to think about the simplicity that everything that is, that is evil is of the devil and everything that is good is, is of God. And so tonight, we, we, we want to consider these 
two verses and what the words mean as they not only pertain to the idea of turning away from evil and turning to the true and living God, but as they pertain to God's will for our lives on a daily basis as we live our lives in Christ through the Holy Spirit to the glory of our God and Father. And so the first word that I want us to uh, consider is the word uh, that is the first word that is to be found. And I'll find page one instead of page two in a second. And now we got them in order and we can get started. Okay. Let us hear. Let us hear. The, the word that, that's used here means to hear intelligently. And the idea is, is one of, of, of attention. But not just paying attention, but but listening attentively so that you can then in turn process what has been said for the purpose of obeying it. I mean, that expression packs a lot of meaning into it, doesn't it? And so the the same word is used in Genesis 3 verse 8 when it tells us that Adam and Eve heard the voice of Yahweh in the garden of Eden. It's the same word that we considered last night, I think, when we talked about Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. When Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? The word obey in Exodus 5, 2 is the expression, let us hear, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. And it's also the word that's used in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 that we thought about last night, in which the word is translated, hear, hear, O is right. So let us hear, let us hear intelligently with the implication that we're going to pay attention so that we can obey. Let us hear the conclusion. And so as we think about the conclusion, that takes us back to the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so in chapter 1, verse 1, we are called in the context of the book of Ecclesiastes to listen to the preacher preach and to give attention to hear intelligently the, the words that the preacher is going to preach. And so the preacher's been preaching for 12 chapters and we come to chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the preacher's sermon. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The word whole, it, it means all. It means everything. It means the totality. That is what we thought about last night as we thought about Caleb and Joshua. They wholly followed the Lord. There was a different spirit in them than was in the spirit of the ten. The whole of those two individuals is what they gave to God. They gave God their all. They gave Him everything, the totality of their being. Let us hear the conclusion of of all, of everything. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. The word matter here, it, it just means a word. And the the implication of the word is that we're to think about what has been said. And so what is the point of the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, it is looking at life under the sun. And that is where you and I live. By contrast, in Isaiah chapter 40, once we come to know the truth about the true and living God, we see that he doesn't live under the sun. He sits above the circle of the earth. And so we live our lives from the perspective of those who are, who are here on the ground created in the image of God who sits above the circle of the earth. We live our lives under the sun. And so that expression is found throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And here is the point of the 
preacher's sermon that he's preaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. The point is the point. The point of Ecclesiastes is here is the point. Here is the meaning of life. This is the purpose that the God who sits above the circle of the earth has blessed you with as you consider your life under the sun. Here is how God would have you to view your life and to think about your life and to live your life. And so at the conclusion of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 verse 22, we're told that the book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation. That's what Ecclesiastes is. It's a word of exhortation. It is saying, listen, I have looked at life under the sun from every different vantage point, and here is what I have concluded about this and that and the other. It is all vanity. It is all emptiness. It is all worthless. This is the point of life. The point of life is to fear God and to keep His commandments. And I want you to hold on to your seats because this is where I really wow you and I really impress you and I really explain to you in a way that you can understand why your elders have brought me here from Washington, D.C. to preach to you this evening. The word fear in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, it means fear. The primary definition of the word is fear, to be afraid. The secondary definition of the word has to do with reverence. That's not the primary definition of the word. The true and living God, when He manifested Himself in some form to His people in the Old Testament, a visible form so that they could see Him, they were afraid. In Exodus chapter Chapter 19 and 20, as as God is making this covenant with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He manifested Himself in such a way that they said to Moses, you talk to Him. We're going to go over here and hide because we are terrified of Him. And so y'all work it all out. You and Him together, y'all work it out. But we'll be over here afraid of Him. The word fear in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it means to be afraid. We'll have more to say about that as we consider points two and three after we work through these definitions. Fear God. The word God in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, is the Hebrew word that that communicates the triune nature of the true and living God. It is the Hebrew word Elohim that finds itself in the plural. It is communicating the Godhead. It is communicating the God that Jesus fleshes out for us in the New Testament. When He declares Himself to be God incarnate, He will declare unto us the truth about God the Father and He will declare unto us the truth about God the Spirit. And in the, in the Old Testament, what we see in the word Elohim is that God has 
always been and always will be forever and ever a being that has a triune nature. God the Father is deity. God the Word who becomes flesh and dwells among us is deity. And God the Holy Spirit is deity. And the Hebrew word Elohim communicates that. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And as the rest of the Bible fleshes all of that out, what we come to understand from John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 is that Jesus himself as the Word in eternity is the maker. He is the maker of all things. That's not in Genesis 1 verse 1. That's in John 1 verse 1 and following. But it's John 1 verse 1 and following that enlightens us concerning Genesis 1 verse 1. And oh, by the way, before we are ever introduced to God the Father or God the Word who becomes God the Son, in Genesis 1 verse 2, we are introduced to the Spirit of God. And so when you see the word Elohim in the Old Testament, and when you see Elohim in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, what you need to see there is that the God who is to be feared is the God in, in whom Jesus has called us to go forth in His name and to baptize those who long to become His disciple in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of life under the sun? It is to fear God. It is to fear the Father. It is to fear the Son. And it is to fear the Holy Spirit. Fear God and. And is a conjunction. Conjunctions are used to connect words of the same part of a sentence that are to be taken jointly. So fear God. Fear means fear, but the fear that we are to have that is to be directed toward God is not to be crippling. Do you see that? Fear God and don't run away from Him like they did at Mount Sinai and Moses, you talked to Him. In Christ, we don't, we don't run away from God and say to our, to our Jesus, you talk to Him. We fear God and the fear of the Lord is to be motivating. Our fear of Him is to motivate us and to keep. To keep. Well, what does keep mean? It means in the sense of tending and taking care of, of watching over or giving attention to. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. We looked at a number of verses in the book of Deuteronomy last night as we were thinking about that generation arose that didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And we asked the question, what happened? Was it a lack of of teaching, a lack of modeling, a lack of learning? And my conclusion is the answer to that question is yes. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 10, as we begin in verse 12, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you today for your good. The will of God for you and for me is that we would fear Him and that this fear that we have of Him would be motivating, that it would motivate us to keep, 
to tend to, to take care of, to watch over, to give attention to, to obey. To obey. To obey what? Well, we'll talk about that in just a second as we consider these other words. But look at 1 John 5 verse 3. 1 John 5 verse 3. And take the time and, and take the time in your time to compare Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13 to 1 John 5, 3 and see how many of the same words are, are in both those admonitions. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So the idea of keeping is that we attend to something carefully, we take care of it, we observe it. And so what are we to, what are we to keep? Fear God and keep, watch this, His. His. Something belongs to Him. That's what we're to keep. We're to keep His commandments. So what is a commandment? Well, by definition, it's, it's, it's an injunction... It's something that, that is authoritative. And if this word is not a, a part of, of, of your vocabulary of faith, I, I, want to, I want to encourage you tonight to make it a part of your vocabulary of faith. And that, that is the sense of this word commandment. The sense of the word is that it is prescriptive. It's prescriptive. Just, just think about that for a second. The commandments of God have not been given to us just so that we would know them. The commandments of God have been given to us because it is His will, it is His expectation that we would obey them. And so... Why are, we, why are we walking through this so slowly? Well, because the call is to fear God and to keep His commandments. And so what does Jesus do in, in Matthew 15 and in Mark 7? Well, He draws a contrast between the commandments of God, commandments that would fall into the category of His commandments, and com- commandments that fall into the category of of the commandments of men. And Jesus says to us in Matthew 15 and in Mark 7, I could care less about all these commandments of men and these traditions of men and these precepts of men and these statutes of men and these ideas of men and these innovations of men. I could care less about all that and you should care less about all that too. What you ought to care about are his commandments. And throughout Jesus' life, he would talk about our God and Father in heaven. He would talk about our Father's will, our Father's commandments. And he would talk about how I always, John 8, 29, for example, I always do those things that please him. Well, what pleases him? Obeying the commandments of men or obeying His commandments. I want to pause and just say here for all of our consideration tonight is that God has never called his people 
from Genesis to Revelation to innovate. We looked at how Eve revised Genesis 2, 15 through 17 in Genesis the third chapter. He hasn't called us to revision. He hasn't called us from Genesis to, to Revelation to add to his word or to take away from it. But beloved, he has never called his people to innovation. And that is precisely what folks were doing in Jesus' day. And Jesus said, no. No. And all those times they accused Jesus of violating this or violating that, he didn't break a commandment that fell into the category of his commandments. The commandments that Jesus broke were the commandments of men, the traditions of men. So what is the call? The call is to fear God and to keep his injunctions, his prescriptions, his orders, his commands, his charges. And then we're told in verse 13 that this, New King James, this is man's all. Other translations say whole. This is the whole duty of man. And again, let me wow you with this. <laughs> Do you know what all means? All means all. All means all, all, any, every. This is the whole of man. This is God's will for everyone. The word man here, it's the Hebrew word that, that, that refers to mankind. It refers to those of the male gender. It refers to those of the female gender. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. Male and female created he them. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is... Every man's purpose in life under the sun. This is every woman's purpose is they live their lives under the sun. For, for, a primitive participle indicating casual, casual, I'm going to say that again in the right way. It's not casual. There's nothing casual about it. It's causal, yes. Someone to my right. A primitive participle indicating Causal relations of all kinds. Because, since, for, why? Why should we hear the conclusion of this particular preacher's sermon? Why should we hear the conclusion of this whole matter? Why should we fear God? And why should we keep His commandments? And why should we believe that this is man's all? Well, verse 14, because. The God that we ought to fear that is to be feared, that we ought to be afraid of, he's going to bring every. You know what the word every means there? <laughs> it means all. It means the whole. The whole of verse 13. He, he, he's going to bring every work. And the word work here, it just means an action. It just means something that you, you do, an activity, a deed, a thing done. So in context, you either... Obey his commandments or you disobey his commandments. And for everything that you do as it pertains to his commandments, then he's going to bring all of that into judgment. So what does judgment mean? Well, judgment has to do with a verdict. And so, there are, again, do you, do you see a pattern throughout the week about how, you know, from the beginning God has just made things simple for us, it's either you're either a man or you're a woman. You either obey or you disobey. 
you're either saved or you're lost. And so God's going to bring every work into judgment. You're, you're either going to receive a favorable verdict or an unfavorable verdict. There's going to be a sentence. There's going to be a formal decree. And there's going to be an act of deciding. And that's what judgment means. It, it literally means to decide and inherit in the word is, is this separation. You're either being separated from the crime you've been accused of or you're going down with it. And so judgment has to do with the act of, of one sitting as a judge and hearing a case and rendering a proper verdict. And we need to be properly aligned in this, who the judge is. And in the context of Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14, it's God. And so he has commandments, and, and whether you obey them or you disobey them, there's, there's a judgment coming, there's a reckoning. And so what you do in life matters. Whether you obey or disobey th this God's commandments, it matters. Because he's going to bring everything that you have ever done into judgment, whether, whether every secret thing, again the word every means all the whole secret thing, there are some things in my life that you don't know about. And the reason why you don't know about them is because I have concealed them. I have hidden them to the best of my ability. I may be deceived about here, but I am very happy to tell you that my mother is in this assembly this evening. And I am quite confident there are some things that I did growing up that she does not know about. And my sister's here as well, and she better not tell her. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and of, of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so there are some things that I'm awful proud about that my mom doesn't know about. But the judge knows. And he's going to bring all that into judgment, whether indicating that a statement applies, whichever of the alternatives mentioned is the case, whether it's a secret thing or whether it's a good thing, a thing that is of God that he's called us to, or whether a thing is evil, whether it is of the devil. And all of that is in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1-4, and the Lord God saw that it was good. And then he started talking in chapter 2-9 and 2-17 and 3-5 and 3-22 about the evil that was of the devil. And Adam and Eve found out that when God said, fear me and keep my commandments, that you'll be judged and that it matters what you do, when they found out, they found out the hard way. And they live the rest of their lives under the curse of sin that you and I find ourselves in tonight. A world that lies under the sway of the wicked one in which we have been called to be of our Father in heaven, not of the, the Father of, of lies, but to turn away from him and his, and his deceptions and to turn to the goodness of the true and living God. Why are we talking about Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 tonight in the context of being Christians 
in the 21st century. There are those who would claim to call upon the name of the Lord, and they would say, Brother Jason, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, as you can see, is right smack dab middle in the middle of your Bible. Therefore, the book of Ecclesiastes belongs where it sits in your Bible, in the Old Testament. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, that that's in the Old Covenant and that Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant and law came through Moses, but grace and truth have come through Jesus. And so therefore in Christ, we have this new covenant in which grace abounds and all that business of fearing the Lord and keeping His commandments and all of that, that is all behind us now. And here is why we are talking about this tonight, beloved. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus is in the Word God in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. But that the 10th chapter and in verse 28 and in Luke 12 verses 4 and 5 that we referenced last night, Jesus said, don't fear people that can just kill you. That's all they can do. Fear the one. Fear the one of Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Fear the one who can destroy both body and, and soul in hell. Jesus said in John 14 verse 15, if you love me, Love is love, right? If you love me, God is love. God loves love. Is that what he said there? Is that what it says in your Bible? What did Jesus say in John 14, verse 15? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28? Another text that we've already considered in our work together. He said, go. And he said... Here's what I want you to do, but before you go, I want you to know this. All authority has been given to me. And so, you know, what we have are people who want to talk about, oh, I, I love Jesus. What? No, you don't, you don't love Jesus. What you love is the idea that he's going to save you from your sins and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever you think about or you talk about or you do. That's what you love. You love this Jesus that you have created in your image that you think is just all about love and grace and mercy, and that all of this business of fearing God and keeping His commandments, that that's all behind us. That's what you love. No, Jesus said, I want you to go, and I want you to remember that I am the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and all authority belongs to me. I want to tell you something tonight. I want Jesus to be my Savior, and I want you to long for Jesus to be your Savior. But he must also be the Lord of your life and the King of your life. And he must also be the God in whom you live and breathe and have your very being, who created you in his image, who sustains you by the word of his power, who because of his great love for you died for you. There is more to Jesus than just calling on the name of the Lord with our mouth and expecting Him to save us by grace 
and no expectation whatsoever that it makes any difference what we think about and talk about and do. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and I want you to teach them everything that I commanded you to do. You know what Jesus did with every commandment of God? He obeyed it. What's the call? It's to conform to His image. You want to be like Jesus? Fear God and keep His commandments. And then in John 5, what did Jesus say? He said, there's coming a a judgment. There's coming a day of judgment. There's going to be a reckoning. There's one resurrection, and it's binary too. Resurrection of good, resurrection of evil. Then there's going to be this great separation, and he elaborates on that throughout his life, and he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. So make no mistake about it, beloved. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, yeah, it's in the Old Testament. It's on page 591 in my Bible. But this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. It's just all right there in this neat little section of of his word. But this is Jesus. And make no mistake about it, beloved, this is the Holy Spirit. And so, why do you believe what you believe about God? Let me encourage you to let Jesus... Let Jesus work in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind concerning the the truth about God himself. And what Jesus will do for you in the Gospel of John is he will explain himself to you. He will explain God the Father to you. And he will explain God the Holy Spirit to you. He will explain Elohim to you. And he will say to you about the Holy Spirit that this is what's going to happen when I go back to heaven. My father and I, we're going to send another like us. We're going to send a comforter. We're going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And here's what he's going to do when he gets here, John 16, verse 8. He's going to convict the world of sin, and he's going to convict the world of righteousness, and he's going to convict the world of judgment. So, beloved, we we have not left fearing God and keeping his commandments and And the idea of judgment and reckoning, we've not left that behind in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter was written as as we understand it during the time that the Roman Emperor Nero was the king of 1 Peter 2, 17 or the emperor, I think it is translated in, in the ESV. 1 Peter 2.17, there's some perspective for you. Honor the king. Well, who is the king? Well, it's the guy that's crucifying Christians and setting their bodies on fire to light the streets of Rome at night. That's who that king is right there. Honor him. Well, why? Well, because 
God from the beginning knew that there wouldn't, would be people that didn't fear him and keep his commandments, and that's why he created government. And so what's the point of government? To deter evil. And that's why countries collapse and fall, because the governments failed to deter the evil. They, they carry the sword not in vain, Romans 13, but a lot of them do, and so that's what, the way they go. The preacher would tell us in Ecclesiastes, because a thing is not, is not dealt with speedily, because crime is not punished speedily. It has a corrupting effect on society as a whole. And so what shall we do as the people of God in the context of that? Honor all. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Fearing God is of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 3, he carried the Apostle John along to write those words. Obey the commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And that is what God had always tried to communicate to his people about his commandments. Listen, your kids growing up, if you give them boundaries, if you give them rules to obey, if you give them commandments, if you give them some prescriptive things, they're going to push back against that because they're not going to understand. But over time, they will come to grow in their understanding of you and of your, of your rules and your expectations and your commands. And what they will come to see is behind all of that was love, that you love them and you didn't want them to run out and play in the road because you didn't want them to die in the road. And so you love your kids and you tell them, you can't play in the road. And they don't understand that, but later they do. And from the beginning, God has been saying to us, listen, I'm giving you the, these commandments because I love you and they're for your good always. I just want what is best for you. And what is best for you is not to do these things that I have said not to do. And what is best for you is for you to do these things that I've called you to do. His commandments in the new covenant, beloved, under law, the law of Christ. Yes, it's a perfect law of liberty, but it is a law nonetheless and the laws within the laws of Christ are not burdensome. He didn't call us to himself so that we could attach our yoke to his and be burdened. Come unto me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. And the contrast is between the yoke that Jesus offers us that is easy and light and the yoke that the deceiver offers us. There is no freedom, there is no liberty when it comes to the bondage of sin and death. And that is all the devil is offering you. It doesn't look like that. It looks pretty. It looks like an angel of light. It, it, it looks like somebody that has a better vocabulary than I do and dresses better than I do and seems to have more of an understanding about all these things than I do. And then they tell you not what you need to hear, but what you want to hear. And what all of us want to hear is that we can just put our minds in neutral and we can just coast to heaven. And the Holy Spirit says to us, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to get your mind right. And you've got to do that every day. Jesus would say daily, here's what you're going to have to do. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, which is why Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, I die daily. Daily discipleship, Luke 9, 23. You've got you to take up your cross daily. You've got a purpose in your heart. You're going to deny yourself and you're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow him. 
And if you're ever going to participate in that relationship, first thing you're going to have to do, the first step you're going to have to take, and as it, as it is in anything that's worthwhile, that's hard. The first step is the hardest step. You are going to have to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And you're going to have to repent of sin. And there just ain't nothing easy about that. Christ hasn't called us to easy. He's called us to glory. And his path to glory, beloved, was anything but easy. There just wasn't nothing easy about his life. And why did he do it? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But perish some will. And those who do perish will perish because they didn't repent. And that is the message of Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. And I would encourage you to look at those verses in your Bible with me tonight as I read them. I would encourage you to look at the context of Acts 17. But just let these words wash over you tonight. God has dwelt with folks in the past in different ways. There's no doubt about it. But we're in, we're in some different days now. We're in the last days now. And in these last days, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And so what is our motivation to fear God and keep His commandments? Well, because there's a judgment that's coming. And He's, he's going to include everything in it, even stuff that your mom and your sister and your nephews and your brother-in-law and your wife and your friends don't know about all that stuff that you don't want anybody to know about he's bringing that with him to to the judgment and Acts 17 verse 31 he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness you know one of the things that people accuse me of and I'm sure they've accused you of this is that you you know your problem what's your problem is Jason you're you're just too judgmental and I want to tell you I will confess to you tonight that I believe in my life I have been too judgmental about some things. And I want you to see in Acts 17 verse 31 that what it says there is that he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And so in my life I have been guilty of what Jesus called judging unrighteous judgment. Amen? Anybody else with me? So there are two types of judgment. You like that? There's not a bunch of different types. There's just two. There's righteous judgment. And unrighteous judgment. There's just judgment and, and unjust judgment. And, and I've been guilty of that. And I, I'm, I'm working on that, trying to be better at that. But I, I want to put a pin in that for a second. I want to just suggest this to you for your consideration. As judgmental as I might have been in the past, and maybe as you've been in the past, and you may have a brother or sister in mind this tonight as we're thinking about this, and you're thinking to yourself, this is the most judgmental person that I know. I want to tell you who the most judgmental person is. That you know, he's the most judgmental person in all of human history. And he ain't even got started yet. His name is Jesus. Among all the things that Jesus is, Acts 17 verse 31, he is the judge. He is the judge. And on the day of judgment, God the Father has appointed a day, a single day, the day that Jesus talked about in John 5, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, the man Christ Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And someone says, I don't know about that. 
I don't know about that. That doesn't sound right to me. How can we possibly even remotely even come to think that there might be any truth to that whatsoever? He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Young people, in your life, you are going to come across someone or someones, and they are going to throw something at you that you can't answer. They're going to throw a question or a problem or a situation, or they're going to throw something at you, and they're going to try to twist your mind up and wrap your mind up in all of these intellectual knots. And at the end of all of that, you're going to have the experience where you just don't know the answer to the question that they're asking. You're just not going to be sure about what the truth is concerning what they are saying. And when you find yourself in that situation, you are going to be tempted to unbelief. And when you have that experience in your life, I want you to remember this. Whatever someone throws at you that you are just not sure of, you remember this. The tomb of Jesus Christ is still empty. This is how we know who He is and who we are. We have assurance that everything that we read in this book is true. We have assurance that there is a God that is to be feared who has given us commandments that we are to obey. We have every confidence in the truth that there is a judgment to come because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And come what may, Romans 3 verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. This, beloved, is Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. And here is the conclusion of the whole matter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is not in the Old Testament. It's not on page 500. We're into the thousands when we get to 2 Corinthians 5. New Covenant. Church of of God in Corinth. The church that belonged to Jesus meeting in the city of Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5 beginning in verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim whether present or absence to be well pleasing to him. Why? Well there are a lot of reasons. That would be a great list to make. All the reasons that we want to be well pleasing to him. But here's the context. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and I also trust are well known to your consciousness. Tonight as we turn our attention now to the conclusion of this preacher's whole matter. And we prepare to sing the invitation song, Trust and Obey. That is the invitation of Jesus. Trust me, obey me. Come to me. And so in the context of this lesson, beloved, we, we recognize the terror of the Lord. He is coming. The first coming of Jesus was about salvation, but the second coming, He's coming in flaming fire with all of His holy angels to take vengeance on those who have not known God and on those who have not obeyed the gospel 
of God, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the Holy Spirit, 2 Thessalonians 1.8. And so tonight, knowing the terror of the Lord, I just plead with you to obey Him. There is a great day coming. And the hope we have in Jesus is that He's coming as our Savior. But if you haven't put your faith, all of you, all of you in Him, and you haven't repented of sin, if you haven't confessed Him with your mouth, if you have not been baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might be born again and walk in newness of life, then you ought to stand in awe before Him and fall upon your face in fear because you are not ready to meet Him when He comes. I would not say that to you if I didn't love you. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Are you persuaded tonight? He loves you. He doesn't want you to feel His wrath. He wants you to feel His love. And that's why it's the invitation of Jesus. And that's why the words that He utters to you tonight are, Come to me. While we stand and while we sing, won't you by faith come to Him? We'll help you to do that. You come to the front.